Welcome to Bumped with Hayley and Rochelle. From IVF besties to pregnancy pals, this is a podcast all about the highs and lows of pregnancy and our steps towards motherhood. So grab a glass of bubbles or probably a cup of tea and join us as we bump along together. Today we'll be talking about my IVF and infertility journey. This includes chemical pregnancies and failed transfers. So if this is too much for you, please skip this episode and join us again when you're ready. Hello and thank you for joining us again. You are listening to Bumped with Hayley and Rochelle and today we thought it might be a really nice opportunity to delve into the backstory of um, of Rochelle today. So we're going to be oh, she's sort of like she's going to be my guest uh, on the podcast um, and this is going to be about how she came to be pregnant um, because it wasn't just when a man and a woman love each other very much, they get together and make a baby. Was it, Rochelle? No, definitely not. One of those after-school specials. Not that easy. (laughs) Not exactly. So we are going to launch straight into it today. Um, So, Rochelle, when... um, When did your fertility journey begin? How did did it all start? Yeah, so Jed and I were married a year um, before we really started to like try to have a baby we're like this is like we know in our hearts that it can take some time we think oh give ourselves six months like we'll be fine like this is sweet um and no and it wasn't like that so we moved to the riverland where we met Haley and Stuart and some of our other friends that we grew up with um, and we thought that would be a great time to, I guess, focus on us and our relationship just because Jed is an engineer and works long, crazy hours, sometimes shift work overnight. So it was a great time to be together in a calming riverland environment. Um, and, yeah, so we just started like everyone else. We all know how it happens. Um, <laughs> and I think that would have been – December of 2008, no, what what year was it last year, 2019? Yeah. So it would have been, yeah, 2018, December we started and then I got a positive in January, which only lasted a day and a half and that was exciting to know that I could get pregnant. Well, that's how we looked at it as like a chemical pregnancy. Like, okay, sweet, like it can happen you know, chemical pregnancies happen to so many women. It's so common and a lot of people actually don't know when it happens. I'm just one of those people who test early. So you, was, so you just started trying and you uh-huh. tested like pretty much straight away, like after you kind of knew you were ovulating yes. even before your period was due? Mm-hmm. So I started um, taking my temperature. So I was tracking my BBT, my body basal mm-hmm. temperature every morning. As soon as I woke up before I moved, I'd done my research. I was taking ovulation sticks. So I knew the exact day that I ovulated. Yeah. And I think it would have been 12 days after I tested and it wasn't positive. And then, you know, my period was say, I think a day. I'm like, Oh, okay. So I'm going to test. And it was faint, but it was positive. Super excited, walk around all that day, like thinking, I have a secret and I can't wait to like share, you know, with Jed. And then the next day it was fainter, but it was still there. And I thought, you know, whatever. Booked in with the 
like just a local doctor and she's like, you're not pregnant. I'm like, what? Like I have like four tests because I'm a little bit crazy and I test heaps. In like a day and a half I had four. She's like, no, you never were pregnant. I'm like, oh, that's a bit rude. (laughs) And then she like like, proceeded. I had never even heard of chemical pregnancy. So did you even think that that was a possibility or were you just totally like I'm pregnant Mm-hmm. Let's go to the doctor. Like, was it even remotely in your mind that it might not have still been mm-hmm. happening? At that stage, no. Like, I thought positive pregnancy test, you're pregnant. Um, booked in with the GP because I wanted, obviously, clarification before I told Jed, you know. And then, obviously, they make you do a test when you go in there. Well, this one did. I think it was like a $25 pregnancy test in the clinic crazy and I'm like I have like three in my bag you sure you won't go and see that? <laughs> and she proceeded I can to save ask, you like, a bit of money here right now <laughs> and she proceeded to ask me questions like do you smoke no do you drink I'm like yeah she's like how much and then like judgment over how much I drank oh wow. I mean I probably averaged it to be like a bottle a week like if I have a glass of wine every night she's like oh okay and then she's like, I know, judgmental. And then she asked, oh, she's like, you're married, right? I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, good. Like the relief over her. I thought, I you can't do that anymore. I know, you can't. But, you know, moving past that, you know, it, it wasn't for us. The chemical pregnancy is basically when, you know, the, an egg gets made, it sticks to your uterus lining, but it doesn't stay. It mm-hmm. detaches for whatever reason. And it could be that it's a chromosomal issue or your lining might not be thick enough. There's a variety of reasons. So at that point, you know, another doctor come in and kind of spoke to me because she was rude and I didn't like her. <laughs> and I went home, I did research and I found that there's things called chemical pregnancies. And I kind of like, okay, I told Jed what happened because I was feeling quite flat um, and I took some time off work because that was my first ever having pregnant, the not pregnant. It kind of hit me quite hard. Yeah. Um, so I took, I think, a couple of weeks off work because it was devastating to me at that time. And then we got on with it. We kind of looked at the positive side thinking we can get pregnant. This is awesome. Like fast forward, you know, and it had been six months trying total and I don't like waiting. I'm impatient. So I booked in with um, another GP, someone different, and they're like, oh, you're young, you're healthy, you're fit, like wait 12 months and come back. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, dismiss, cool. Um, eight months, and I was like, nah, I'm sick of it. I just want some testing done. So I'm like, just basic blood work, whatever. So we booked in. I called my mother-in-law who works at a medical clinic and said, I want a referral to this fertility clinic or this no I want answers and she's like yep cool no problem I had a consult with like a GP got my referral we went to you know the fertility clinic we got basic blood works done um Jed gave a sample um (laughs) and to make sure everything was fine and that's probably the most stressed he's ever been it's waiting for those results um thankfully especially to his relief he has primo spermo, so that's all good. Um, they're like, in that initial consult with the fertility doctor, he asked, you know, basic questions about our health and our lifestyle, but mainly honed in on, you know, are my periods regular? 
are they painful? And I said, well, yeah, like every month, you know, I do get pain and I have to take Panadol or, you know, breathe through it. And every now and then, I think maybe like three times a year, sometimes more, I'm in so much pain that I have to take a day off work or I have to take strong pain medication. And he's like, well, that's not normal. Pain during your period is not normal. He's like, I think you might have endometriosis. And that was the first time that I'd really heard about endometriosis. Mm -hmm. And he explained it really clearly with diagrams and this model of a vagina. (laughs) And it was, Mm -hmm. yeah, and it was really amazing that in that first, that very first appointment that we had done bloods, Jed had done a sample and we spoke about endometriosis, where that was the most comprehensive conversation I've ever had with a specialist. Like, this is amazing. This is kind of what I wanted. And in that appointment, I'm pretty sure we booked my surgery for a couple of weeks' time. So I had a laparoscopy, dye studies, DNC, and a DNC, sorry, and a, oh, I can never say this word, hysteroscopy. No, how do you say it? Do you know how to say um, it? I- also do not know his hysteroscopy maybe yeah I think that's it anyway (laughs) (laughs) we we booked in for that surgery and I've had plenty of surgeries in the past so surgeries it's kind of like a regular place that I attend Mm -hmm. like I've had five knee surgeries my wisdom teeth like yes I've had my breast done so like I've had plenty of surgeries I was ready for it I wasn't scared or anything and I knew that my sister-in-law had also had a laparoscopy because um, I'm pretty sure she has endometriosis as well. So she gave me some tips as well, went in for that surgery, came out, and I just knew, like, I just had this woman intuition that, yes, I'm going to have endometriosis and I'm probably going to need IVF. Like, I don't know why I immediately thought it, but I just, yeah. you know how you get, like, a woman intuition? Like, you just, you feel it, mm-hmm. you know, so... It turns out I have severe endometriosis. Um, it is, from what I know, isolated in my like lady bits area, uterus, like because endometriosis can be anywhere in your body. It can be in your lungs. It can be in your tubes, everywhere. So mm-hmm. that was good, but that was my diagnosis. That was the cause of my infertility mm-hmm. at that stage. That's what we knew. So getting that phone call immediately, he said, yes, you have severe endometriosis and I recommend you start IVF immediately if you want to have children. I'm like, oh, okay. But the, I guess the plus side or the positive of doing those tests and my blood tests was that we did find that I had a high egg reserve for my age. Okay. So plenty of eggs, jets all fine. It was just my endometriosis, I guess, blocking or stopping us getting pregnant yeah Um, it sounds like you are really good at focusing on the positives like what mm -hmm. you know even though you kind of had that intuition like what was what was that experience like you know in terms of trying to conceive having a chemical pregnancy getting this diagnosis and also that IVF is the next step Mm -hmm. um where like where were you at emotionally at this point I think at this point I was it sounds so weird, but I was relieved. Okay, uh, yeah. I, I wanted answers. Like Jed and I's relationship had gotten better, even though, you know, trying for a baby can be so, like, by the end of it, 
mundane and like, oh, you know, you're ovulating, you know, mm-hmm. like, or I'm ovulating, like we got to do the deed tonight and it's not as fun anymore and, you know, it's not like the first couple months it's draining. So to yeah. get a diagnosis, to have answers, to know that, you know, Jed was happy. He's not the problem and we had a plan. I think for me not knowing or not having a plan and being in limbo is the worst state of mind I can be in. So to know that I had a diagnosis, I had a plan, it was relieving to me. Yeah. Um, and even, you know, even when we were planning on moving to the Riverland, there was a stage where we we weren't sure if it was going to happen and that causes me the most stress and anxiety is not knowing, being in a limbo state. So having that diagnosis was relieving while also scary because it's not a guarantee that IVF is going to work either. And so we, once we had that diagnosis before we moved back to Melbourne, because at that point we we're at, I think, oh, maybe like 10 months being in the Riverland and we we're only yeah. going to be there for 12 months. So we, just before we moved back to Melbourne, my specialist in Adelaide, you know, got me in touch with someone in Melbourne so we're all ready to go kind of thing and we told um, a couple of our friends and um, our family or immediate family parents sister-in-law that were doing IVF and they were all really great you know some of our friends were oh that's so exciting which isn't <laughs> it, it's not exciting um, but I understand that people don't know what to say yeah. when you, you tell them but I wanted to tell friends just because a lot of our friends were in that state of trying and having babies, getting married. I just wanted them to be a bit more, I guess, cautious or sensitive about what they say around me and how they yeah, say it. Definitely. And, you know, if I have to walk out the room because I'm sad because something had triggered me, they're not going to be offended. And it, it did happen um, one time um, over Christmas during my stim cycle I had to walk away from a conversation because it just got too much, but mm-hmm. that's kind of jumping ahead of the story. Um, yeah, so we moved back to Melbourne, booked in with the fertility specialist, and it was a brand-new clinic, so they hadn't fully set up yet. So we had time to do a mandatory counselling session. We had to get a police check, a child protection order check, and like a bunch of paperwork, which now I believe – in Melbourne, don't quote me on it, but I believe you don't have to do the police check or the child protection order check. Yeah, I, I think I've heard that as well, which yeah. is I think makes sense because you don't actually need anything to fall pregnant naturally. Exactly. And yet if you're going through IVF, all of a sudden you've got to prove that you're this superhuman and it's, yeah, yeah and that like it really frustrates me, the, the hurdles that um, – that are put in place for something that is natural and free for everyone else. And they, you know, they, they don't have to, even things like BMI, you know, you've got to be a certain, um, you know, certain weight to start IVF. And it's like, well, hang on a second. That's not real when you're trying um, to conceive naturally as well. And it's just that those injustices I think are really, um, can really play with your mind. So I think that's, I think you're right. And I think that's really good that it's, just allowing people to kind of access things a bit more easily. Exactly, yeah. So we had done all of that paperwork and we 
started IVF in December 2019. So a full year, a full cycle of 12 months, I guess, and we started our stim cycle, which is stimulation of your ovaries and your eggs. So you create a lot more eggs for them to, I guess, in the nicest way, harvest. Um, (laughs) Harvest your eggs Mm -hmm. um, for fertilization. So that was... Um, the first time I had ever injected myself with like a needle, um, I mean, who else? I mean, besides your diabetic, um, not many people have done that. And, you know, I was, my mum's diabetic and she injects herself with insulin every day. So I'd seen it. I'm like, this is cool. Like my mum can do it. I can do it. This is sweet. Um, got all the medication, I think two months early, just to have them in the fridge ready to go because we're so excited. You know, this is this is going to be like the the end of, you know, our infertility. Like we're going to do this. Like this is going to work for us and being very positive. And then, you know, so many people came to me over like the December period or November, December when we started saying that we're doing IVF and, you know, I'm going to be on drugs or not, you know, drugs, like medication and I'd apologize if I say or have an outburst or cry or walk out of a room, don't take it. You know, personally, I don't know how I'm going to be on all these extra hormones. Yeah. Like yeah. when you're on your period, sometimes you can be a bit bitchy. Like, <laughs> and then you kind of add on, uh, like, no, never. <laughs> I'm never am. Perfectly, that's lovely. Good thing Stuart's <laughs> not in the room today. I know. Some <laughs> um, rebuttal, I'm sure. Yeah, a lot of people started telling me stories of, and I'm not sure if you have got this as well, Haley. That. Oh, my, my friend's sister, they were trying IVF and they got pregnant just before. And Oh, I heard that one. My mum's sister's friend, so many people started telling me, or, you know, this person had um, a baby during IVF and, you know, three months later she got pregnant again naturally. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they did IVF for a year and stopped and went on holiday and they got pregnant. Like, yeah, like it's, yeah, I went on plenty of holidays and yeah. it didn't work. No. <laughs> yeah, that the, the one, um, the we made an appointment and then we got pregnant before we yeah. had our appointment. That was my favorite story because I yeah. just wanted to, like, I'm like, yeah, that would actually, um, save us a lot of money. Um, but money. thank you for telling me. Yeah, so oh. I guess it goes back to people trying to be supportive and trying to like be positive encouraging but actually be the opposite and it's it's yeah. it's not that they're trying like they're being mean it's just in a better like a, not knowing the better understanding yeah. yeah just ignorance but like in a nice way <laughs> yeah and I think that it's about I think it's the same with pregnancy as well we're not being pessimistic but there's somewhere between optimistic and Mm-hmm. realistic like we can be hopeful yeah absolutely but still be realistic about what our odds are what the mm-hmm. you know what the chances are and that's something yeah. that people kind of don't quite understand it's like oh don't be negative it's like no no I'm, I'm not but I have to protect myself by not thinking yeah. this is the golden ticket because it might not be absolutely and hearing all those stories I was like yeah right but just before we started stims um I kind of missed this part we the month before we were going to start, we fell pregnant again, naturally. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm the cliche. Like, the, I'm the story. Like, the story. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Um, and we got 
positives for a week. Um, again, I booked in the GP, demanded a blood test, um, which was low. Um, they want at least 25 HCG for something so early and it was only 21. So I went back again a couple of days later, got another blood test just before the weekend so I couldn't do it or know the results, should I say. And then I got another blood test two days after that. And waiting for those blood tests was like I was testing like multiple times a day, like a crazy woman, like three or four times a day just to see that second line. Um, and it was always there. That second line was always there even the day that I started bleeding. And that was the day that we went in for, I guess, the results of the, the three blood tests and our HCG went up and then it dropped again quite dramatically. So, I mean, what I knew before I went in for that appointment because I started bleeding and called Jed and got him to come home and take the day off work because we are both really quite devastated because when you have a week, like almost a week of positives, you're like, there's no way this is going to fail, especially with the a positive pregnancy test the day you start bleeding. Yeah. But, you know, I did some research and um, first response, early response pregnancy tests are so hypersensitive. I think they can detect 21 HCG, where a lot of the others aren't until like 25 plus or like 30 so they are definitely the most sensitive tests on the market and that's what I was using. So yeah, okay. for anyone who's worried that, you know, a chemical pregnancy could happen, don't test until after period's late. Um, maybe, I don't know. First response is amazing. I do love them. Um, and even if you're trying with a digital, um, they're not as sensitive. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that was, that was a sucky day. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And like, how do you remember that day? Like, did you, uh, did you cry? Did you speak to someone? Did you, yeah, like, so how did you kind of process that? So I was definitely, I basically started crying the, yeah. as soon as I started bleeding. Like, again, women's tuition, I was like, this, like, this is it. Like, this isn't yeah. going to end well. Um, and I called Jed, going to come home, just crying. He's like, do you want to still go to the doctor? I'm like, yeah, like I want to know those numbers because yeah. that's the kind of person I am. Like I need to know mm-hmm. the answers. I need to know why something's happened and and if possible how to correct it. So we went and I kept it together in the appointment. She was very soft-toned and polite and understanding, kind of gave us the results and said, like, do you want me to elaborate on anything? And we we're just like, no, like we understand. And she said, do you want to talk to someone? Like, so she was going to give us a referral to someone to speak to. And yeah, I didn't want to at that stage. Jed's not a counselor or a talking person. So we just went home and I dealt with it on my own. Um, definitely cried all day, but um, I definitely like to look on the positive side of things and, it just meant that next month um, we could start IVF and have something to look forward to. Hopefully that that had work, you know, the IVF would work out for us. And, you know, again, it's it was, there was a silver lining that, okay, well, we can get pregnant. Maybe IVF is just a little push that we need yeah. to have it stick. So definitely like a day of self-pity and crying and it was probably yeah a week of 
being down or however long it was. Um, and then I always like to give myself the time to grieve or be sad and feel the feelings because if you just push them aside or, you know, bury them, they're going to come out one way or another at one point in time. So to know that or in that day I didn't have work anyway, um, so I just felt everything. Like I allowed myself to feel everything that I was feeling so that I could process it, understand it and kind of move on and start something new. Do you um do you I guess like commemorate sounds like a strange word, but like is there something um like have you done anything like you know like do you remember the date or do you like did you go so far as to kind of oh I looked into like, like when my due date was would have been and yeah. stuff like that but I don't like to I guess some women like to remember those dates and acknowledge the day every yeah. year and yeah I just don't think but I'm the type of person to do that yeah. um yeah. it's not for me like I might you know down the track get something you know, for all my lost embryos and maybe those other two chemicals just mm-hmm. to have something, but I'm not at that stage that I'm ready to do that. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Just focusing on the positive was my main train of thought Yeah. at that time. Um, yeah, getting a little emotional here. That's okay. <laughs> That's all right. It's really hard. And, and this is the thing where – you just don't know what people's stories are and you don't know where they've been and how hard they worked and what they went through. Um, And this is the kind of thing that you probably don't put on Facebook and you don't. No, absolutely not. You know, like it's not. (sighs) No, I think, you know, it made it slightly more difficult. No, not more difficult, but it was only a couple weeks later that we went to a friend's wedding and we were seated right next to a newborn baby. And that was obviously not done on purpose. No one would have known that. But that was like a shock. And I probably drank a little bit more than I would have yeah. at that wedding. Um, but I think, yeah, that you never know what someone's going through in their life. So just to always have compassion and kindness towards people and and if you have a moment where you're like, oh, shoot, I probably shouldn't have said that to someone, like you can come back to them and be like, look, I'm sorry for like yeah. lashing out the other day. Like that's yeah. totally not my intention. But, yeah, so moving forward before we get into like an hour and a half of an episode. Um, <laughs> where we we're just s- crying. Yeah. Each other. <laughs> um, like the first night that we bonded. Yeah. <laughs> need a few more wines to hit that level um so I started IVF like I said with a stimulation cycle um I think I was a little ahead of you with IVF so I could I guess share everything with Mm -hmm. you so you could be prepared but I had yeah I was on stimulation so I was on different types of medication injections um to grow extra follicles and within follicles are eggs and so because of my egg reserve I had quite a number of follicles that I had a lot just because I overproduce um which sounds great um in theory 
but I was extremely uncomfortable by the end of it. Um, and this was around Christmas time, yeah. like just before I think. Um, so we're all going to Christmas events with friends and everyone's drinking and I'm like trying to hold it together, not cry for some unknown reason because my hormones are like going crazy and there's like those like our friends have babies which I love and I was giving them cuddles but there was a moment where I had to step away I think twice to have a little cry and come back and I think you know it's totally normal if you're going through a stimulation cycle or you're going through you know a fertility treatment that you're on extra hormones you never know what's going to happen like yeah I cried for like no reason like <laughs> no reason at all like my hormones I was just super sensitive and some people might not be, some people might be, you know, angry. Like some people might just be physically tired and I was so tired as well. Um, and by the end of it, your ovaries are so engorged with extra follicles and eggs that every time you kind of walk, it's like a stabbing pain. Yeah. Like it was crazy. But we went after, you know, however long we were on stimulation, you go into an operating theatre and I was put, you know, put to sleep or, you know, had anesthesia. Um, and they, again, it's quite a confronting experience because you have to be so vulnerable. Like they're going, it's not through your stomach, should I say. <laughs> they go through your vagina, um, poke a needle through and into your ovaries and kind of suck out the follicles with the eggs. And so... It's quite confronting, but again, I'd had surgery. It was fine. Um, I actually went out to dinner that night, which I probably don't recommend. Did you? Yes, I did. <laughs> I felt fine. Oh my god! <laughs> which a lot of there's probably a lot of uh, IVF women just thinking, "You bitch!" Like I know. I regretted it because hey, I did. Do you, I would, man. The next week, I was <laughs> up in bed thinking I shouldn't have done that, but yeah. You know, in the time I felt fine and I wanted to get out and, you know, breathe air. So that's what I did. And we ended up getting a nice number of eggs. I don't think it's, you know, I'm not going to share how many eggs we got and how many fertilized because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You can have a huge amount of eggs collected and end up with one embryo or you could have five collected and end up with four. So um, knowing numbers is kind of irrelevant, but we did get a nice number just because I am an overproducer. Um, it's my little too much gene coming out there. <laughs> we ended up with, um, with, oh no, should we, should I mention how many embryos I got in the freezer at that stage? It's really up to you. Um, yeah, so we ended up getting eight embryos. Um, majority of them are five day and a couple six day. Um, so they freeze when they get to blastersac which is like they put the sperm and the egg together, they make it, you know, an embryo. And once they get to the stage where you can't count how many cells there are, I believe that's what it is, that's when it's a blastocyte and they get frozen. So we had eight in total and we had to wait a month in between because I was at risk of hyperstimulation. Yeah. So hyperstimulation or OHHS can be quite um, – oh, what's the word, like quite harmful or quite um, – I think women can get really sick. Yeah, um, that's it. And if yeah. you go straight into a transfer, um, it can actually put a lot of pressure on the woman because you've mm-hmm. kind of stimulated your ovaries and your hormones are co- kind of going off. And, yeah, so it's it's quite 
um, common for women who um, stimulate really well to be advised to take that month off. Yeah, exactly. And I've done some research and if you do have, there's different types of cases. So like worst case scenario, you could be hospitalized throughout your entire pregnancy and Mm -hmm. potentially like this is like crazy talk, but women have died from it. So there's like no risk. Like I wasn't going to risk it. Just let's just take January off and then we'll jump into a frozen transfer. So we did three back-to-back transfers um, after that, three frozen transfers, and I can tell you it's pretty – it can be intense because every transfer that fails is like a loss because it's not just, you know, having sex and it's not working that month. Like these were embryos. They No, they're not a baby. They're not in like that yet, but it's still – heartbreaking to know that there's an embryo that was put inside of you and it it didn't survive inside your womb kind of thing so that was a process and I think the way I processed it was to not process it and just jump straight into the next one and hope that the next one had worked but you know three later and it hadn't so I think at that point I was getting quite agitated because we hadn't changed anything in my protocol. So my protocol involves what medication I was on Mm -hmm. and I'd spoken to my specialist. It was like a 10 minute conversation over the phone because that was when COVID had started and it cost a couple of hundred dollars. And I was just like, Oh, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like 20 minute conversation, like 200 and something dollars. Like, come on. But he did say that, can take three cycles for anything to happen. It might not be the medication. Like embryo might just have something wrong with it. He was positive that, you know, one of the eight was going to be good. So we took, I think it was two months off between that because I did have a lump in my neck that I wanted removed. Um, totally nothing to do with IVF, infertility, whatever. It was just something that we wanted to get done. And in that time we had um, another consultation with a different specialist just because I wanted a second opinion and see what she had to say. And Oh, sorry, you can hear Louis barking in the background. I <laughs> That's all right. Room. I'm sure our dog's going to make frequent appearances in this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, so in that break I also um, spoke to a lot of women. I mean, I started an IVF or TTC Instagram page as soon as I started IVF just to connect with other women and get advice Um, because I'd never seen someone besides my mum inject like I hadn't I don't know any of the symptoms so finding that community on Instagram was huge because everyone's so supportive and you can share stuff with them that you typically can't share with your friends because they haven't been through it so that was really amazing um, so I spoke with plenty of women about what tests or blood tests that they got done that helped was helpful. Um, and because we were typically really young for trying and healthy and fit that my specialist wasn't really wanting to do any additional tests. And at the end of the day, like he was right because all of the blood tests came back normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I had plenty, like I, pints of blood taken and had all these crazy blood tests done and they all came back normal. So 
to me, that was a way that I could have control over the situation. I tested, I got things done. I got, yep. you know, whatever. And so when we came back after our couple break, well, like a couple month break, should I say, uh, we decided to do just one more round with our current specialist and then kind of assess whether moving clinics was a good idea. Yeah. And you actually had um, an appointment with another yeah. clinic in that time as well? Yeah, we did. We, I won't say who we will. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> He's really angry. He's not in this room right now. Um, we had a, yeah, another appointment um, with another clinic, a different specialist, um, and I know that every specialist, with even within the same clinic, will have a different way of doing things. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted someone completely unbiased opinion, and she was basically saying very similar things that my current specialist was saying, but yeah. giving us the option of a natural cycle, which you had done, which mm-hmm. you can speak about in your episode. Um, so that was something that we we're looking at doing, just completely natural, letting my body do its thing, and just mm-hmm. having. A little bit of support rather than the support that I was getting with all my medications. Um, so she was definitely someone that we were looking into when thinking of, okay, how do we get our embryos moved over? Um, oh my goodness. <laughs> so yeah, we decided just to do one more transfer with my current specialist because I did like the fact that everything was done in the same building, in the same room. You had your blood test, you had your ultrasound, you had your egg collection, you had your transfer. It was all in one kind of a little room within the hospital. So it was inside a hospital, but it was separate. So you didn't go into the hospital. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I did like that. And there was one ultrasound technician and one nurse that took the blood and sometimes was at reception and they were the most genuine, kind-hearted, like – they were unicorns and fairy flowers. Like they were the most amazing <laughs> two women I've ever met in my life and they made that experience going to that clinic what it was. Um, and, yeah, so we decided just to do one more round and my specialist agreed to change my protocol slightly. Yes. Um, just slightly, a little bit, um, not heaps, but to more focus on thickening up my lining Mm -hmm. um, rather than ovulation induction. So previous transfers, I was on an ovulation induction tablets to make sure that I ovulated and then I triggered for ovulation where this last cycle I was on um, a stimulation drug on a very, very low dose. So I obviously didn't hyperstimulate like last time, um, but to help thicken my lining. And so I don't know if that was the drug that changed or it was all the other things that I had done differently in that cycle, but it had worked and we got pregnant and lucky number four um, had worked. And so in that last transfer cycle, I had done a lot of things differently. So I had one glass of pomegranate juice every single morning from cycle day one. And there was a couple of days where I had run out. I think it was like three or four days and my lining had dropped. I was like, oh, my God, what is going on? And I figured out that I wasn't taking pomegranate juice. So mm-hmm. for me now, anyone who goes through IVF, I'm like, drink your pomegranate juice, one glass every single morning, do it. Like, yeah. don't skip it. Um, and then I changed acupuncture. So I was doing acupuncture for cycle one and two. 
and then not with the third one, I don't believe anyway. And then I changed to a new lady who was closer and I just automatically felt something different the way that she did things. Like she's after that first session, she said, you're probably going to feel it in your stomach. And I'm like, I'm not feeling anything. Go home. And I was like, oh, yeah, actually, like I feel something a bit mm-hmm. weird or different. And she said it was going to happen. So she's she's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, obviously when you're doing IVF, you go in for a lot of blood tests and ultrasounds to make sure that you're close to ovulating. And I was close but wasn't quite there yet. And so I told acupuncturist and she's like I'm gonna get you to ovulate tomorrow and I'm like okay let's see what she got and I did I went in for a blood test um that next day and I had ovulated so <laughs> whatever she did was working she is a um, magician yeah she also told me to only have warm food and drink mm-hmm. to warm up the uterus and I don't know you don't want it cold so the only cold thing I had all that cycle was my pomegranate juice. Everything else was warm. I did not touch anything cold, no smoothies, no nothing. Like everything was warm. So that was another little thing I did. And, you know, a lot of people after a transfer, they'll go home and they'll lay down or they'll chill out. They'll just do nothing. And that's what I did with the first three. But this one, I just went straight back to work and all week I was like on my feet moving around. So blood circulation is also extremely important to uh, get yeah, blood nice. into that uterus so it's true what they say is they like just go about your day as normal because yeah like you're not gonna like you staying home or you going to work isn't gonna affect you know whether that embryo sticks or not but mm-hmm. moving your body will help with the blood flow so yeah that that was kind of our journey to pregnancy yeah. um our clinic does do um they do make you do three blood tests a week apart yeah so we had a blood test week four five and six which was kind of nice because it kind of spread them out and I had something to look forward to and then stress about every week um so that was good to know that my HCG levels were high first and then they got higher and higher and I think between those three blood tests Jed and I were extremely nervous and anxious because if you've been through uh you know, a loss, a chemical or, you know, further along, it's really stressful to know that a positive pregnancy test doesn't mean mm-hmm. you're going to have a baby. And so waiting for those results was nerve-wracking. Jed didn't want to talk about, you know, pregnancy or really talk about it at all until we had confirmation that those numbers were rising and rising correctly. So a very stressful couple of weeks. And then we went on to do a early week scan at week seven and that was really exciting because we saw or I saw Jed wasn't allowed to go due to COVID it's mm-hmm. COVID and we saw or I saw the heartbeat I took a video and showed Jed but you know I wasn't I wasn't happy with that experience um it was a private clinic we paid a couple hundred dollars and the lady was just rude she wasn't happy to be there she wasn't excited it kind of like put a damper on everything so I emailed my specialist and said I want a referral to go to Botvin clinic I refuse to pay another you know a couple hundred dollars mm-hmm. to get an ultrasound just to be like no so I went to 
a bulk billing one. And just a game changer. Like they were so lovely. She was so excited for me. She had high spirit. She was happy. She was showing me like all the different things. And that's when I started getting really excited and they printed pictures for me, which is still in my, on my fridge. And I mean, at eight weeks, it's just a little blob to be honest with you. (laughs) Like it doesn't look like a baby, um, at all, but there was a heartbeat and that's all we really cared about at that point. Yeah. So that's kind of our journey to pregnancy. And after that point, we booked in with our obstetrician. Yeah. And that's kind of where we've been going afterwards. Like, you know, once, I don't know if this is every clinic. Um, I've seen others do nice things for their patients, but after we got that last, you know, this, like your, this is your HCG on week six, that was it. Communication kind of stopped. Oh, wow. And I had, yeah, no congratulations, no, no, this is what you do next, except like, yep, you can book in with your OB. And that was it. And I was like, oh, cool. So I paid you thousands of dollars, like tens of thousands of dollars to now be kind of like thrown to the gutter to like, you know, fend for myself kind of thing. It was quite disappointing, but at the same time, that ultrasound like lady and that blood test lady, just lovely. I love you. So they made everything worth it. But yeah, so now I am pregnant, which sounds totally weird saying, (laughs) and I feel like I'm going to jinx it, but I'm pregnant, thankful, dealing with all of the symptoms that I've been having. And yeah, I've been dealing with pregnancy acne, thanks to my (laughs) baby girl. (laughs) Has that um, has that anxiety gone away? Has um, kind of like, I guess you know, people think that pregnancy mm. cures infertility. Oh, no, no. Where, I mean, where are you at with that? We'll always have infertility. Like I'll like because my endo is so severe. Like I'm probably going to have it for the, my my life. Mm-hmm. It's not going to change anything. So. You know, there's the, that very small, I think we were given like 3% of getting pregnant naturally. Mm-hmm. Like, so just because we're pregnant now and hopefully, you know, fingers crossed everything goes smoothly and we have a baby next year doesn't mean that we don't suffer from infertility and I don't have that yeah. anxiety anymore. Because even being pregnant, like I still get, you know, when I see a birth, like birth announcements or a, you know, pregnancy announcement, those feelings are still there, the, the yeah. anxiety and the, I'm not going to say jealousy because I'm also so happy for other people but yeah. so sad for myself that it can't happen so easily. And yeah. at the same time, like, I don't know what they've been going through. So not everyone talks as openly as I do. I mean, everyone knows, like, I'm kind of an open book and if they had questions about IVF, then they can ask and, you know, when we're going through stims at our friend's Christmas, you know, barbecue, some of the boys were asking questions and asking, you know, so what happens, like what's the odds and chances, how does this happen? And those are the questions that I loved because it meant that they cared and that they wanted to know more rather than not knowing what to say and kind of shutting off and avoiding it in fear of upsetting me. So, yeah, the anxiety definitely hasn't gone away, I think. 
my anxiety has gotten worse since pregnancy yeah. because not only am I pregnant and I'm so thankful there's that fear that something's going to go wrong, there's also you have to add on lockdown in Melbourne since yeah. March, being isolated in a house. Like, yes, I'm so thankful that I have a house and I have a backyard and I can have fresh air without having to have a mask on out the backyard but it's still scary to go to the shops because there are cases within my suburb that are still active um uh, and the I think the isolation away from friends away from family has been the most difficult thing because you know Jed gets to go to work and I'm I don't I'm like at home by myself with all my symptoms and it's probably uh worse because I'm at home and I have no distraction from yeah. my symptoms. Yeah. Where like, you know, when you're hungover and you have to go out to like a, an event or you have to leave the house, yeah. you kind of, it forces yourself to like pretend you're fine, kind of mm-hmm. shut it off, like go outside <laughs> and pretend. And then all of a sudden, like you forget that you're hungover and you don't, you feel like shit. So, but when you're at home, you wallow, like you're sad because you can't leave the house. You're sad yeah. because you feel sick and then it, it snowballs a bit and I think a lot of people in, if you're in Melbourne you'll kind of understand that lockdown has been extremely tough for a lot of people like mentally you, you kind of go into like a survival mode where your body shuts down and you're tired and you're like I don't know why I'm so tired like I haven't done anything but your body goes into like a survival shutdown mode and you don't know what to yeah. do and there's no there's no end in sight for us here in Melbourne we have you know, it needs to be, I think, five, like two weeks of five cases a day and then zero cases. So, I mean, we're not even, we're not, we're not there yet. So, yeah. It's, and so many things that you're like, oh, when I get pregnant, I'm going to yeah. go to a shop and buy baby clothes <laughs> or I'm going to have all my friends over for the gender reveal or I'm yeah. going to, you know, walk every day or go to coffee, you know, like all it's, those things that, you know, you've been, you know, when you're trying for years, you've got mm-hmm. this like, oh, that's going to be so cool to, you know, to do once I'm pregnant. And yeah. then those things get, you know, and and they're kind of – they're superficial to a degree, yeah, but they're really they're important like milestones as well. Yeah, yeah I think it, we were really hoping to be able to obviously fly to, to Adelaide. That's where all our family is and tell them that we're pregnant. Yeah. And obviously with COVID, we're like, well, that's not going to happen. So let's tell them a bit earlier on a video call. And we did that in a really cute way and then we're like, oh, maybe everything will calm down like the rest of Australia and we can fly for the gender reveal. And that didn't work, so we had to do that again over video chat. So there was a lot of things that um, while we're grateful that we're pregnant, we've kind of been like robbed from yeah. like some of the joy that comes with pregnancy because yeah. we can't share it with anyone. Like we, we've shared it like now on social media but – I'm still alone. Like I don't, I can't celebrate with like the excitement to be able to talk mm-hmm. to someone about it and have a cup of tea because you can't have that glass of like bubbles that everyone's having. And you know, oh my like God, I want it so bad. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've like looked into like alcohol free, but everyone says, Oh, it's so, it's not good. I'm like, Oh, okay. I've tried I think I, just shit. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, it's just being isolated from everyone during yeah. pregnancy it's it's sad because like I want to celebrate and I want to share and 
you know, show off the bump that I don't know if it's bump or bloat. Like by by now, I'd hope that it's a bump, but there was yeah. definitely times like earlier that I'm like, look at my bump, and it was definitely just bloated. <laughs> yeah I totally understand so uh, yeah. what um what are some of the like tips or like if you if you had advice for someone or you know you could almost like give yourself some advice you know from the past like what what are what are some of those things yeah um you know I I started thinking about tips and they all just floated out of my head <laughs> like um but I think the, the main one is to have a support system. So yeah. whether you have, if you're lucky enough, like myself to have a friend going through it, like Hayley, to be able to talk to and bounce things off of or to vent, like she didn't have to say anything. I just needed to have a vent and yeah. that was fine. And if you don't have someone like start an Instagram page, like you can have it private start like have a brand new like email so no one can like find you and then talk to women like that is that community is so inclusive they're so lovely to offer advice and follow other people's journeys because there is such a broad range of people out there from all over the world that I've connected to that have been a great support especially mm-hmm. you know that they've been through it they can offer you advice and support so that was the big thing and you know another one is to make sure you're talking to your partner about how you're feeling what symptoms you're feeling as well because you know being on uh, vf medication or um fertility treatments in general like it could be an iui or any other type of fertility treatments your hormones are crazy they're crazy and your partner needs to understand that as well and you know, there were some days that I just got so angry at Jed and I don't know why and he just took it like a grain of salt. So mm-hmm. that was really great and he, he mentioned last night, I think he's like, I'm so glad you're in the second trimester. Like now that you've calmed down and you're a bit more like level-headed, <laughs> I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> like me too. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're like me, stock up on tests, like all the pregnancy tests, like – I probably sent hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands, um, if you include the year before IVF on tests. And don't waste your money on digital or blue dye tests. They're just crap and useless. Who cares? And, um, you know, just educate yourself. Like if the doctors aren't giving you the answers that you want or the tests that you want, you don't have to, you know, you sometimes have to advocate for yourself. And if you Mm -hmm. want a test done, demand it they can't yeah. say no to you so and if they do you say well okay well then I'll put it you can you put that on like my file that you've denied me this test and yeah they'll typically you know give you a your referral to get a test and yeah and whether they think it's relevant or not sometimes you just need that that sense of control like I did and you know if having a bunch of blood tests is going to help you remain calm then why not do it I mean I'm not afraid of blood tests I know Jed was so he was definitely not keen um he was just happy to go along for the ride um and a hundred percent drink your pomegranate juice and warm foods <laughs> yeah like is. I love that your warm foods and if you you know if you're not into holistic or you know that kind of medicine that's fine too and I wasn't really big on it but 
I thought, well, why not? Like, let's let's give it a go. Acupuncture has been around for many, many years. Why not give it a go, even if it's just to relieve some tension or de-stress? I was not keen on it. I didn't didn't want needles in me, but they don't hurt. They're fine. And it was quite a calming experience. Um, and yeah, I think that's really it. I mean, I did have another one in in my head, but I completely forgot it now. Oh, positive thinking. This last transfer, um, I started. Well, not just I started following this um this psychic a long time ago, but um I. <laughs> Some people are like going to think I'm crazy now. Um, I manifested on the new moon mm-hmm. and I did exactly what she said to do. I repeated um, I will be pregnant in you know July 2020 three times a day, every single day, believing it. And I I don't know, positive thinking I think yeah. changes so much about like connecting your head and your body and just feeling good and positive that – I don't know if it worked or not, but it made me feel good while I was doing it and I believed it and it happened. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Pregnant. Now I think, um, man, there are so many good little recommendations in there. So we might save uh, what we're um, reading or listening to um, for next um, episode because we've got a special sort of infertility what we're, you know, what we were listening to. Um, But thank you so much. It's like, it's such a huge part of your story and it's really um, special to share and um, and it just makes it so much more special that you're now in this position um, yeah. after going through mu- um, so much. So thank no, you I for thought, being so honest. That's okay. You know, I thought this episode was going to be like short 20-minute episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no one's going to like. It's okay. But, you know, it's it's an insight to, yeah. to what we've, I've been through and if – this wasn't for you that's all fine but if you wanted to get to know myself and our background before jumping into the next you know episodes moving forward then you've definitely gotten to know me a bit more and you'll get to Absolutely. know Haley in our next one that's it so um in the meantime please head over to our instagram page and you can follow along with um our adventures there and and we'd like to share lots of content from other creators as well so that's at bumped podcast yeah, um, and if you want to shoot us an email, tell us how amazing we've been or, or just some <laughs> advice or, or if you what have words any. that we're overusing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, yeah, if you have any anything that you want us to talk about in you know, future podcasts, send us an email at bumpedpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and we'll chat to you again next episode. Bye. Bye.